Luke 11, 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend who will... Who, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here with us at River Oaks today, for getting out in the rain and uh, kind of a dreary day outside, but we are really, really glad to have you here. Thank you for coming. Um, if you've got a worship guide on the way in, we always appreciate it if you fill out the Hey, I'm Here card, the little strip that's perforated, and you can tear off and drop in the basket at the end of the service. A couple other things I'll note in the bulletin in just a moment. Uh, specially, do note this uh, week the special Lent 2018 emphasis there, and take, uh, take some time to read that over. We have just begun a new study based on the values, the biblical values that we hope define and will increasingly define us as a church. Now, to understand what we're doing and why we're doing this, it might help you to open up your bulletin for just a moment and look at the center panel there that's entitled Vision Frame. Several months ago, back in the summer, the elders on our church session began meeting praying together, seeking God for greater clarity about how we as a church can bear the most fruit for God, for his honor, that we can possibly bear in the coming years. And we were using a book to kind of guide us and help clarify our mission, our values, our focus. The book is called God Dreams. And uh, during our meetings, we were, we were asking the Lord how can we as a church best glorify you and make disciples? And we felt it was by uh, focusing on building followers of Jesus who, who grasp our identity as sent people, people sent into the world to share his love and truth with others. We talked about that some if you were with us during the uh, month of January. We also felt we needed to clarify what we call our discipleship pathway. 
how new people coming into our church can grow spiritually. And we felt it was important to clarify our values. Those values that define who we are as a church, those values that flow out of Scripture, and should be important to our lives as individuals and also corporately as a church. The values might give guidance. For example, if you're having lunch with a, a friend this week and your friend asks you, uh, hey, can you tell me a little bit about that church you go to? Tell me a little bit about River Oaks. What's it all about? The values will hopefully define us and help us understand why our emphasis lies where it lies. Now, if you were with us last week, uh, Pastor Andrew Wilde dealt with the first of the seven values we'll deal with, and it is uh, Bible-centered. We're a Bible-centered church. You'll notice the rest of the blanks in your bulletin are uh, uh, empty. We'll fill those in, but if you want to fill in the one for today, it's prayer-fueled. We hope to be, increasingly, a church that is fueled by prayer. If you're using the small group study guide, the green booklet at our resource center, You'll find all of these things dealt with extensively there as our small groups study them. You'll also find there uh, something that's headed Vision 2025, where we hope our church will be, what we hope our church will look like in the year 2025. Now this morning, as we talk about the importance of prayer and being prayer-driven, prayer-fueled as a church and as individuals, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that Tate read for us just a moment ago, Jesus' teaching on prayer recorded in Luke chapter 11, and it was given in response to a question from his disciples. They said, Lord, teach us to pray, because they had seen Jesus pray a lot. For example... In Luke chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, we have the record in the Gospel of Luke of the baptism of Jesus. And the scripture says, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. Have you ever wondered why Jesus prayed? He was the Son of God. Why did he need to pray? Why did Jesus pray? We're going to think about that a bit this morning. This particular verse is interesting to me because in it we see Jesus, God the Son, praying at the same time as God the Holy Spirit is descending and God the Father is speaking. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three distinct persons working in perfect harmony, perfect unity. Jesus praying at his baptism. Later in the Gospel of Luke, and we're just going to look at a few instances just recorded in several chapters of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 5. But now... Even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. It seems to have been Jesus' custom, particularly after a busy, full day, the crowds pressing upon him, to withdraw to the mountains, to the Mount of Olives, to a quiet place where he would pray. The disciples observed this. 
In Luke chapter 6, we read this. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Jesus goes out and spends the entire night in prayer, and in the morning makes what we might consider the biggest, certainly one of the biggest decisions of his three years of public ministry, who those 12 people would be who would be appointed his apostles. But first he spends a whole night in prayer. Why did Jesus need to pray? Why did Jesus pray? We read later in Luke chapter 9, in verse 16, Jesus doing what he often did, giving thanks, praying a blessing before food, before serving food. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. When we serve communion, we remember the words that Jesus took the bread, giving thanks, he broke it and distributed it. Later in that chapter, verse 18, it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. They were constantly observing Jesus in prayer. One person noted how frequently Jesus prayed and described Jesus' earthly ministry as going from one place of prayer to the next and doing ministry in between. Next passage that you'll see is from Luke chapter 9, verse 28. About eight days after these things, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. This was the occasion that's often called Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory of God appearing in all of its brightness upon him. It happens as he went to pray. It happens as he was praying. And then in Luke chapter 11, we read the start of our passage today. As Jesus was praying in a certain place, he was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Notice the disciple didn't say, teach us to turn water into wine. Teach us to multiply food like you can do. Teach us to heal the sick. Teach us to cast out demons. Teach us to raise the dead. Jesus did all these things, but they knew there was something significant in his life about prayer. They knew he was a man of prayer. And so they said, Lord, teach us to pray. They had seen its importance in his life. So Jesus begins the teaching that we're going to look at today. And in his teaching on prayer, we can note, I think, three things in particular. Number one, prayer is an expression of our relationship with God. As Jesus begins this short teaching on prayer, he says to his followers, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Father. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, there's a more extended um, record of Jesus teaching on prayer. And there he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The key word here, though, is Father. And it's a key word that would have sounded, I think, unusual to the ears of his early hearers because Father is a title for God. 
was not often used in the Old Testament. One commentator I read this week said 15 times in the Old Testament and never as an address for God in prayer. And yet, the title Father is used in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 165 times. Jesus is bringing about a new relationship with the Father God, and that relationship would be expressed in prayer. Now, it's important to note that the title Father, when addressing God, is reserved for Jesus and his followers. It is not the case that all people can call God Father because a person, in, in the words of Jesus, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The religious Pharisees were disputing with Jesus, and they said, we have one Father, even God. Jesus said, no. You're of your father, the devil. The way to know God as Father is through the Son, Jesus. In what we call the gospel, the work of Jesus on the cross to pay for our sins, to provide for our salvation. Jesus did all that was necessary for us through our faith in him to come into a relationship with God whereby we are, in the words of scripture, adopted. And God is our father. And in this prayer, in this teaching on prayer, Jesus is focusing on the relationship with our Heavenly Father. Why did Jesus pray? I think one of the things Jesus teaches us in his example of prayer is that out of this relationship flows fellowship. Prayer enriches our fellowship with God. Prayer is an expression of this love relationship with our Lord, our Savior. It brings enrichment to our fellowship. And I, I, I what I wonder why did Jesus pray? I think the simplest answer is Jesus wanted to pray. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, is communing with the Father and the Spirit, enjoying fellowship in prayer. I read a story about a, uh, a man named, an author named Brennan Manning, shared in one of his writings, he was a former uh, Catholic priest, and he shared that he received a call one day to go visit a man in the hospital. It was a man he had never met, a man he didn't know. And a um, family member had asked him to go, so he went to the hospital, and the man was a believer in Jesus. And he asked Brennan Manning this question. He said, I've wanted to ask someone this question for a long time. Years ago, I was struggling with my prayer life. And someone told me that I could understand prayer as a, as a conversation. Uh, with God, and that I might try just putting an empty chair in the room as if I were talking with him seated in that chair. And he said, I've done that for years. Sometimes I'll talk to Jesus for as, as much as an hour. And he said, is that wrong? Is it okay to do that? And Brennan Manning said, yes, I think it's okay. I think it's good. It's wonderful that you uh, see prayer as an intimate conversation with your Lord. A few days later, this man's daughter called him and said, I want to thank you for going to visit my dad in the hospital. Um, he, he died this morning. And uh, we found him in kind of an unusual position. He was in his hospital bed, but there was a chair pulled up next to his bed, and he was leaning his head 
into the chair. Prayer is fellowship. When I, when I ask myself, why did Jesus pray? I think he's setting us an example, yes, but he's also in fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. Prayer is an expression of relationship with God, and that's why Jesus, in teaching us about prayer, allows us to address God as Father, our Father. Secondly, Jesus teaches us here that prayer aligns us with God's will for our lives. When you pray, Jesus said, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, in the fuller version of this prayer, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer includes praying about God's will being done on the earth and in our lives. We continue to ask God to give us what we need, God's provision, to forgive us our sins, God's forgiveness, to lead us not to temptation, God's protection for us. We're praying for God's will to be done in our lives. And prayer is one of the ways that our lives are aligned with God's will. Jesus prayed for the will of the Father in his life. If we looked ahead in the Gospel of Luke to chapter 22, we'd find Jesus going to the Mount of Olives, knowing he was about to go to the cross and praying this way, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Prayer, aligning himself with the will of God. Prayer is one of the ways that we will not only get a clearer understanding of God's will, we'll also get his wisdom. The book of James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Prayer is a way that our lives are aligned with God's will, guided by his wisdom. Thirdly, Jesus teaches us in this prayer I believe that prayer enables us to walk in a closer partnership with the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, after this abbreviated outline where he says, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Jesus is still answering their question. He's responding to their request, Lord, teach us to pray, and he continues teaching about prayer with a parable, a story. And he says, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come on a journey and I have nothing to set before him, and he'll answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. The setting is this. In Jesus' day, homes often only had one or two rooms. Typically, in a family with children, everybody would sleep in the same room. So to wake up one person was to wake up the whole crowd. And in this setting, the door was barred, the families in bed, uh, some homes were built on top of an, uh, kind of a stable underneath where all of the animals were kept. And to, to wake up one person was to wake up the whole crowd, animals included. And here it is, midnight, everybody's asleep, and this friend is pounding on the door and says, 
a guest, a friend from out of town has come and I don't have food, lend me three loaves of bread so I can show hospitality as it was so important to do in their culture. What's Jesus teaching here? Jesus says he's not going to respond just because he's his friend, but because of his impudence, his persistence, many versions of the Bible read, his bold perseverance, because of his banging on the door at the midnight hour, he will get up and give him what he needs. And Jesus goes on to teach from this little example, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks, receives. Asking is prayer. He's still teaching us about prayer. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who, to the one who knocks, it will be open. Jesus is still teaching about prayer. But he doesn't stop here. He goes on to say this. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Of course you wouldn't do that. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Jesus is doing what He did on other occasions, what rabbis often did, is arguing from the lesser to the greater. If you earthly parents know how to give good gifts to your children, evil though you are, how much more will your Heavenly Father who is great, who is perfect, give good gifts to his children. Now, when Jesus gives this teaching as recorded in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, how much more will your father give good gifts to his children? It's an encouragement to persevere in prayer and to trust that God responds to our asking, seeking, knocking with good gifts. But in this account, in Luke, instead of, how much more will your father give good gifts to those who ask? Jesus says, how much more will your father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What does he mean by this? Why does he say this? Is Jesus saying you have to just keep asking, persevering, knocking, knocking, knocking if you want the Holy Spirit to enter your life? I don't think so. Because the teaching of the Bible is, without the Holy Spirit entering our lives, we are not Christians to begin with. The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 8 and verse 9, if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, he does not belong to Christ. It is by the Holy Spirit's work that we are brought into relationship with Christ. That's how we're regenerated, born again. Born from above, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. So what does Jesus mean by this? What's he talking about? I think he's simply saying, because every true, genuine believer has the Spirit of God dwelling within. And yet, we followers of Jesus live and walk with varying degrees of influence of the Spirit in our lives and varying degrees of fruit of the Spirit 
in our lives. I think what Jesus is simply saying here is that of all the gifts that come from fellowship with God in prayer and from submitting our lives to his will, none is more important than the controlling presence and power and influence of the Holy Spirit, which is seen more fully in those who pray. Prayer is like fuel for the Holy Spirit's fire. In prayer, we are expressing our dependence upon God because prayer is born of an awareness of our need. We know that Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Prayer is born of an awareness of our need, of our insufficiency, but yet our trust in God's sufficiency. Our knowledge that unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain. So in prayer, we express our dependence upon God. Prayer expresses our relationship with God and is a way to enjoy His fellowship. Prayer aligns us with His will and enables us to walk in a closer partnership and fellowship with the Holy Spirit and with His power. And I think we see this in the life of Jesus, our great example, who prayed, it seems, all the time. Our prayer for our church, and the reason we include this as one of our values, is that we want to be people who pray as God is calling us to prayer. I think God is calling every one of us here to a higher level of prayer in our personal lives, in our own devotional lives, in our homes. For those who are married, let me just ask you, are you praying regularly with your spouse? I think it's one of the greatest things you can do for your, for your marriage. I think it's God's will for all followers of Jesus who are married that you pray together as husband and wife. That those who have children are praying in your families with your children, teaching them to pray. But that we as a church will raise the level of prayer and recognize that it's only in response to prayer that we see God's power at work in our lives and, and through us. As we think about Jesus' example and why he prayed, I'd like to think just for a moment about how he prayed. We have a few examples of Jesus praying that are given us in Scripture where we have his actual words that he was praying, the longest being his prayer in John chapter 17. But there is a source that Jesus used for prayer that you and I can also use. Jesus actually had a prayer book. Most of it was about a thousand years old. And Jesus literally prayed prayers from this book. And you and I have the same book today, and we can use it when we pray. And I'm talking about the book of Psalms. Jesus prayed the book of Psalms. When he was on the cross, he prayed Psalm 22 in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
when he was on the cross, he prayed Psalm 31 and verse 5. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. So familiar was Jesus with prayer that Tim Keller uh, titles his devotional on the book of Psalms, The Songs of Jesus. Keller, in the introduction to his book, in which he he notes that the Psalms from our book of Psalms would have been uh, those which Jesus sang and prayed. And he writes this for us. We're not simply to read Psalms, we're to be immersed in them so that they profoundly shape how we relate to God. The Psalms are the divinely ordained way to learn devotion to our God. I don't know if you ever thought about the book of Psalms like that, but I think he's exactly right. The great theologian of the Protestant Reformation, John Calvin, said this about the book of Psalms, that the design of the Holy Spirit in giving us the book of Psalms was to deliver to the church a common form of prayer. Because as you read through the book of Psalms, you'll notice that many of them are are prayers to be prayed, and others are written in such a way that they flow out of a life situation that can give shape to our prayers. Jesus prayed the Psalms, and we can too. The beautiful thing about the book of Psalms is that they address the whole spectrum of human circumstances and emotions, griefs and sorrow, joy and gratitude, emotions that come from facing rejection or great joys in life. And I'd like to take just a moment today and and give an example of a psalm. It's Psalm 55. You'll see part of it on the screen. Psalm 55 was written by King David. King David lived approximately 1,000 years before Christ. This particular psalm was written to be set to music, as were many of the psalms. But look at the emotion, look look at the expression um, of what the psalm writer, King David, is going through and what he actually says to God in his prayer, because it is a prayer. It's a song, but it's also a prayer. And he says, give ear to my prayer, O God. And hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I'm restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. Have you ever felt like that? Felt like complaining to God? There's a whole category of psalms that are known as laments. And a lament is essentially a complaint. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. Could you imagine saying that to God? These words are inspired by the Holy Spirit and recorded for us to teach us. And I think author Tim Keller is right when he says they're to teach us devotion to God. This is much the way Jesus prayed on the cross when he quoted from the 22nd Psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Let's take a glimpse of the middle of Psalm 55. And again, it's not a well-known psalm, but, but one that I think teaches us. In the middle of the psalm, King David says, after his complaint, after expressing his anguish, after being honest about what's in his heart, he says, but I call to God and the Lord will save me. Now here we hear an expression of confidence in God. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint. Yes, he complained to God. And moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. Here is an expression of trust. Here he's going from expressing his anguish to saying, God hears me, I know he hears me, he's going to redeem me. This is much the way Jesus prayed in Psalm 31 and verse 5. When on the cross he says, into thy hands I commit my spirit. That's Psalm 31.5. You know, I, I read somewhere, I can't remember where, that Psalm 31.5 was a prayer that Hebrew mothers would pray when putting their young children to bed at night. They would quote Psalm 31.5. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. You've redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Perhaps Mary prayed that for Jesus when he was a young child. And Christ on the cross prays Psalm 31.5. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. You've redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Expression of trust, of faith. Finally, we move toward the end of Psalm 55. And we find David, the psalm writer, teaching us out of his anguish, out of his pain, out of his complaint. He's now teaching us. And he says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. That's one of my favorite verses in the book of Psalms. Cast your burden on the Lord. If you are carrying upon your shoulders a heavy burden, cast it on the Lord. Roll it off under the shoulders of the omnipotent one and know that he will care for you. As you know, I'm sure, uh, we're approaching the season of Lent. And this coming Wednesday is known as Ash Wednesday. Um, some of you, I'm sure, grew up in uh, a more liturgical, traditional church where Ash Wednesday was also celebrated as a more contemporary church. Uh, it's not really been part of our history much in the past, but, but uh, we're doing something a little different this year. We're going to have a very traditional Ash Wednesday service here this Wednesday, and I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But just a word about Lent. Lent, historically, is that period between Ash Wednesday that, that people have used in preparation for Easter Sunday, uh, celebration of his resurrection. Uh, Lent is not taught in the Bible, and uh, there's a way to observe Lent that can be uh, harmful to one's faith, and there's a way to observe it that can be useful to one's faith. I think it's harmful if a person during Lent says, I'm going to give something up to try to appease God, to try to appease his anger toward me for all the bad things I've done this year, I'm going to try to earn some points with God. I think that's a, 
big mistake because we can't earn points with God by sacrifices we make. Jesus secured our relationship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on the cross. It's Christ alone and what he's done that brings us into an eternal relationship of acceptance with God. Lent, I think, can be used in a positive way if we understand that and use the season of Lent as a time to come to know God better and love him more. It might include a traditional sacrifice like some fasting, if you think God calls you to that, giving up something in order to seek him more. I think it's a good time to add something to your devotional life, like memorizing a passage of scripture. And, and if you, you haven't already decided something you want to do during the season of Lent, I want to recommend something to you. Something that I think will combine these first two values of our church being Bible-centered and prayer-fueled. And I want to recommend this Lent commitment in which we'll read and reflect prayerfully upon the book of Psalms. If you choose to do this, you could start this Wednesday, February 14th, which is Ash Wednesday. And if you will read three psalms a day and five on Sunday, and if I added correctly, you will finish on Easter Sunday, the book of Psalms. Three psalms a day, five on Sunday. But don't just read through the psalms. Read them reflectively and prayerfully. Take some time to go through the Psalms. I'm not saying discontinue your other Bible reading. I'm, I'm doing a read through the Bible in your plan too, and I'll, I'll continue that in the mornings, but maybe have a special devotional time during the period of Lent for going through the Psalms and using them to guide and shape our prayers, joining together Scripture and prayer. I think it'll add a richness to your devotional life, and I will highly recommend that. Now, our church is doing something that I hope will help you with that. We're going to make available to you daily during uh, this season a text message. And I want to ask you at this moment to take out your cell phone. Now, normally what I'm about to ask you to do would be a sin if you do it during church. And that is to send or look at a text message. But today it won't be a sin, just for these few seconds. Here's what you can do. You get out your phone and you, uh, and you prepare to send a text. And you send it to that number on the screen, 336-697-6644. Don't feel guilty. It's not a sin if you do it right now, even though we're in church. And text only the letters L-E-N-T. Don't write text Lent, just write L-E-N-T. They don't have to be capitalized. It's not case sensitive. You just send uh, the word um, Lent, and you will immediately get back a message that will say, thank you for subscribing to River Oaks Lent Daily Prayers. Now, what this will, will entail Every day at the same time, every one of us will get a text. And, and one of our elders has, um, has taken on the task of going through the Psalms 
And the text will be just a portion of a verse of the Psalms and a prayer flowing out of that verse. So that, I'm not sure what time of day it'll come, either 7 a.m. Or, or, or 12 noon, we'll be praying the same prayer together. And I think it'll help us get in the habit of using the Psalms for prayer. And so, um, if you didn't sign up right now, details are in your, your bulletin and you can do that later. But my hope is that we will increasingly become a prayer-fueled church as we learn to pray the Scripture together. Would you join me as we pray about that right now? Father, how we thank you that we can call you our Father who art in heaven. Lord, your name is holy. And apart from the work of Jesus on the cross, we could never call you our own Father. But how we thank you for your grace and mercy. How we thank you for the work of Jesus to secure our salvation. We give you thanks and praise. Would you do an increasing work of your Spirit among us so that we would come to know you better and love you more? Lord, during this time as we approach Easter Sunday, may it be a time of increasing richness in our times of prayer, our times with you. So speak to our hearts and change us in those ways that only you know we need to be changed. And we ask this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.